You know, if there's one thing it's really dangerous to be in a Disney movie, it's a parent. <laughs> Especially moms. A lot of time, they don't get much screen time before their time is up. And now a moment of silence for Bambi's mom and Dumbo's mom and Elsa's mom. Well, you get the point. And so it is again in Cruella, the latest live action Disney reimagining of an iconic character. She's played with Wicked Swagger by Emma Stone. And we're going to spend some time talking about her and her movie today. Hey, everyone. Adam Holtz here, your host of The Plugged In Show. Focus on the family's weekly conversation about entertainment, technology, and popular culture. Thanks so much for joining us today. Well, after spending more than a year locked up due to COVID, I think I speak for all of us when I say we're glad that the movie theaters are finally reopening. Oh, and I as know, we, right? I know, right? And as we move into this Memorial Day weekend... Uh, the big movie getting things kicked off other than the quiet place too, which is about aliens that basically kill everything that make noise. But that's a podcast for a different time, a different podcast. Oh, yes, I can't wait is <laughs> Cruella. And of course I'm talking about Cruella DeVille from 101 Dalmatians. Uh, but it also occurred to me as I watched trailers for this and then saw this movie that, you know, Disney has been doing a lot of kind of dark stuff with some of these live action remakes. So I thought we could kill two birds with one stone today. We can talk about Cruella, but we can also talk about this bigger trend with Disney kind of adding a lot of grit and darkness to their movies and what parents need to know about, but also if there might be a redemptive side of that as well. Well, joining me for today's conversation are Paul Acey, Emily Clark, and Jonathan McKee. Well, Cruella, of course, is one of Disney's iconic villains, and the best thing about being Disney is they have no shortage of iconic villains. So I thought to start us off today, we would talk a little bit about that. You have to pick your favorite iconic Disney villain. Who is it? And your why? Favorite. Or, wow. or oh, your man. anti-favorite. I mean, anti-favorite. However you want to Can parse the both? word. <laughs> okay, Emily, you can do both, but I'm not sure I'm going to give the other two that that courtesy because it might take too long. <laughs> but it sounds like you have somebody or some buddies in mind. So, oh yes, I do. Off. Okay, so if we're just talking about you know in terms of my favorite villain, just in terms of their presence and whether or not they were actually a good villain, I really think it's a tie between Cruella and Maleficent. I think that, and I'm talking about the cartoon versions. I'm not including the live action roles um, in this particular comparison. I just think that they they both have that villainous presence, but they are just... Is that E-S-S or O-U-S, villainous? Oh, no, sorry. It took me a second. To sorry, I'm being a, I'm being a geek. Villainous. Villainous. Okay. Okay. I'll emphasize that one. Um, yeah, no, I think that, but I also kind of think that they're fabulous <laughs> in their villainry. <laughs> um, but if we're talking about like actually evil, bad, bad guys, like you do not want to meet this person in real life. I'm going to go with Claude Frollo from the Hunchback of Notre Dame. Ooh. He, to, <laughs> that's a terrible one. He that terrified me as a kid but he kind of creeps me out as an adult because there's like a lot of really dark things with his particular um character in that movie that i didn't understand as a kid went straight over my head but as an adult i was like oh oh he's he's really gross this is not okay <laughs> that's what i would call a deep cut yeah that was pretty of a good. disney villain 
You know, right? I, yeah. I don't think that I've is. ever seen The Hunchback of Notre Dame. Well, it's about this guy. He manipulates religion sort of a... to do evil things. That's one bad thing, but like, mm, yeah, without going into too many details, he tries to seduce a female character in a really gross way. Ooh. Wow. Yeah. Well, wow. that feels like a different podcast. Too. It is. It is. So it that's, why, that's why I don't like him. He's He, in my opinion, is the, just the, the cream slimiest. of the crop when it comes to bad guys. Well, and, and, that's, and that's the tough thing about this question. I mean, I mean, you know, by default, I almost wanted to say Cruella because she kills puppies and tries to make a coat. I mean, come oh, on. Oh, no, she's do, plenty evil. <laughs> I mean, do we, do we need to go any further? You well, kill puppies? No, I guess I not. Mean, it's Paul's turn. Frollo also <laughs> kills a lot of children and adults. And, like, he, like, he locks a family in a house and then sets the house on fire. Look, she's like still she's evil. still trying to plead her point. <laughs> I am. I'm sorry. She's, he's the worst. She's showing her case still. Well, she's this absolutely... is clearly the best opening question okay, okay, I have okay. ever come up with. No, listen. Since I don't think we're allowed to do Cruella, I'm going to no, definitely say No, you can do say Cruella. I mean, you just did. No, no, I was just doing the typical Jonathan and trying to get away to actually answer more than one answer. Oh, um, I see. I, I see what's happening. I think, uh, I think, you know, see, and I could even slip another one in there. Best voice, Sher Khan. But anyway. Uh, oh, Sher oh, Khan, go. yeah. Um, no, Different I'm going to say the most evil is probably the evil queen because when she had that, like, that From Snow White, with... right? Are you yeah, talking about yeah, the Snow White evil yeah, queen? Yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Yeah. There's, I mean, how many evil queens are there? There's probably Just a lot the of one. them. But, but the evil queen, <laughs> when she met with the huntsman, um, and she has that conversation, and you're sitting there, you're going back and you're watching, you know, this old, old cartoon. So you think it's going to be like a little more innocent and a little less evil. But I mean, what other Disney film do you hear where you hear somebody say, I want you to cut out her heart <laughs> and put it in a box. I mean, it's pretty sadistic. I mean, that almost makes skinning puppies seem like a little bit okay. I'm not sure. I, I personally think it's never it, okay. it was pretty bad. It's never okay. Okay, okay. But I think that's you know, pretty evil. It's I'm going to actually evil. pivot this entire podcast. We're going to talk about how dark Disney original movies are. No, it's true. <laughs> they can be Which really, maybe really Maybe we could dark. circle back to that a little bit later. Yeah, yeah. I, I have to say that both of the characters that you brought up are very very evil they do not they are not good people not good people but you are both wrong 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 okay i'm listening clearly the most evil character in all of disneydom would have to be chernabog the the demon from fantasia right oh. i can get behind I mean, that you've got uh, this totally. demon standing on top of this mountain conjuring up these terrible things and then throwing him in the fire he is bad plus bad 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 demon the nightmares demon. of children and adults alike for years oh to come. i tell you <laughs> when i saw that movie when i was five years old it creeped me out that might have been the scariest thing i saw in the movie theater until i started working at plugged in well, and, and it's funny, too, because, you know, if you think about it, I remember when we used to show that to our kids because, you know, I mean, it's like, it's Mickey. It's dinosaurs. He's sweeping. I remember, yeah. And I remember, Look he's at the sweeping with alligators. that innocent little broom. But the thing that was scary is when that scene would come on and my son would set up a tent in the living room. And he would, we made him sleep in a tent. He didn't even have a room. No, I'm just kidding. But, so he would, he would set up a tent in the living room. And whenever that scene came on, he would hide in the tent. From that demon. I don't yeah, blame him. Absolutely. Don't blame him yeah. at all. Yeah, well, I feel that way about the Grinch still, so. But that's not Disney. I know. I know. <laughs> I know. I'm taking us in a bad direction. I'm going to just do uh, real quickly, Scar, he killed Mufasa. End of discussion. I mean, 
honestly, yeah. people. He's pretty twisted. No, no, that's that's not the end of discussion. That's, yeah, that's we're going to continue talking right, about this Paul's going to continue <laughs> clinging to his demon character. Meanwhile, I'm going to move Yikes. the conversation along. This has been lovely, but let's... Let's dive in a little bit deeper. You know, once upon a time, Disney was synonymous with kids' movies, although our our conversation perhaps suggests that our recollection is not always as uh, <laughs> accurate as maybe we think it is. Some but I think still, you think Disney, you think kids' movie. In the last couple of years, though, they've started to do some live-action remakes of beloved classics that have taken a bit darker turn from PG to sometimes PG-13 levels of content. And that includes our movie out this weekend and this first subject of our podcast today, Cruella. Paul, you reviewed this film for us. What's the basic storyline here and what do parents need to know about this one? Is this just 101 Dalmatians remake? Not at all. We only see three Dalmatians in here and they're not very nice dogs. Oh boy. Not very nice dogs. Yeah. So this is sort of an origin story, if you will, of where Cruella came from. Uh, Mm. Turns out her black and white hair is natural. She was born with it. Um, And it sort of illustrates a little bit of her own character. She's sort of split between two personalities. Um, As she's growing up, her mom is the nicest person around, really tries to guide her daughter into positive directions. And And we know where that's going to go. Her name is actually Estella, and when she behaves the way that her mom thinks that she should, you know, that's pretty much who she is. But when she goes bad, when, you know, it's like when she is good, she is very, very good, although she's not really very good. When she's bad, she is horrible. That's when she becomes Cruella. So she's kind of like Gollum then. She is kind of like Gollum. Actually, that's a pretty good comparison. (laughs) I mean, yeah, because Meikle isn't always that nice. (laughs) Early on in the movie, she's actually orphaned. Her mom takes a a tumble off of a cliff because of these terrible Dalmatians. She's orphaned. She goes to London, and she gets mixed up with these two petty, pint-sized thieves called Horace and Jasper. And that, so she does all these little petty crimes, but all the time she wants to be a designer. And sort of that goes into the rest of the movie. You used a great word in your review to describe them. Drifter? No. Grifter. 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 I didn't even know what a grifter was, but I knew that it wasn't good. (laughs) (laughs) So I'm a parent. I think, oh, I kind of liked 101 Dalmatians. We're going to pack up the kids and take them to the Cineplex. Yay, nay, somewhere in between. Talk to us, Paul. I'd say nay. You know, honestly, because the movie goes into some very – it is a dark movie. It feels a little bit Tim Burton-esque to me. Mm. It looks really cool. The fashion is cool. The visuals are are very, very nice. And it has some tremendous actors, obviously, attached to it. Emma Stone is great. Emma Thompson is wonderful as sort of this secondary villain called the Baroness. Mm -hmm. She's just fantastic. But the movie – has never made being bad look so good, right? <laughs> Literally, it, the fashion. Oh, wow. <laughs> exactly. So when you're talking about impressionable kids, you know, who are still trying to figure out how to be good and how to be cool, bad looks really cool in this. And so I think it could be one of those things that if a parent does decide to take their children to this movie, they're going to need to talk about it quite a bit, I think. 
Well, you know, I feel like I've seen a couple of movies over the years. I feel like this trend kind of started when they did the live-action remake of Cinderella and they had Kate Blanchett playing Lady Tremaine and she was just, oh, she was so good. And she remaking that classic character, that classic villain, and she was so good in it that I think people were intrigued by her performance and they were like, I want to see the backstory of more Disney villains. And then, you know, we had Maleficent. And, you know, she was played by Angelina Jolie. And again, phenomenal performance. But, you know, the difference, I think, between the Maleficent movies and maybe these movies, Cruella and Cinderella, is that um, we're dealing with with her, you know, it was almost a little more, her actions were a little more justified. Not correct. I'm not, you know, saying that what she did was right. But I am saying that, you know, that it painted her in a softer light and you could see how she became the evil villain that she was in Sleeping Beauty. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. I think that one of the interesting things about sort of weighing between Cruella and Maleficent is that Maleficent, you see part of her backstory, mm-hmm. but in the midst of that backstory, she's sort of redeemed. You know, you can right. see not only how she got to be that way, but she turns better as the movie goes along. I was going to say, yeah, she, you know, in the end, it, it ends up being like her being the one who has to forgive, who has to be the bigger person and such, which is a kind of a unique twist. Exactly. Like, hey, even though I was actually pretty bad, I'm going to do the right thing now. Exactly, exactly. It, it has sort of this core moral message that that really did redeem her character. Cruella in this, you understand her, but she never is redeemed. She mm. is still a very, very bad person. And it, 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 one of the things that struck me actually in the movie is that toward the end, you hear the Rolling Stones' Sympathy for the Devil play. Mm. And it really does feel like the movie asks us to feel sympathy for Cruella DeVille. Well, it's interesting, and it might be a good discussion if you took your teenagers. But you know, I think go back to Adam's question: is you know, do you pack up the kids? And by kids, do you mean the five-year-old, the eight-year-old, the six-year-old? You know, it's probably not in the same way. Would you pack up the kids to go see, you know, Joaquin Phoenix playing Joker? Sure, mm-hmm. we as Batman fans might like the you know and appreciate. Here's why Joker is the way he is. You know, because of this. You know, and I don't think Joker's really redeeming you know you you don't find out that he turned out to be a good guy at the end you know it's kind of an explanation of the character so you almost have to expect that a little bit and you probably need to be prepared for that and maybe it's for older kids uh and not for younger kids maybe we need to understand that the joker is actually kind of a good comparison in some ways because i think that when you look at, at Cruella and how it sort of develops as the movie, that's kind of exactly what we're talking about. Yes, you understand how the character got to where she gets to. You do understand uh, a little bit more about her. And you see, you feel some sympathy for what she's been through and how she deals with some of the things she does. But it makes what she does, it's really bad and it makes it, it sort of excuses it. You know, yeah. and th- that's not we're necessarily. We're to laugh at it. We are. We are. And I think yeah. that, that when you're talking about a movie that's targeted toward children, there is an inherent problem with that. And, and with our teenagers, I think that could be a fascinating discussion because to sympathize or empathize with a character and step into their shoes and find out why are they doing what they're doing. You know, life isn't always full of fairy tale endings and life isn't you know full of people turning out necessarily good in the end. And um, to look at how a character got that way. You know, sadly, sometimes the world will walk away and be like, oh, well, now that we've empathized with them, it's okay. Good for you. Be that way. Well, no, we don't need to make that leap. And those might be good conversations to have. 
Well, and I think this is a movie that really, in some ways, romanticizes revenge. Mm. And I mean, there's an entire genre of revenge movies. And revenge movies invite us to look forward to the bad guy or bad girl getting his or hers. Mm. And because they're bad, we're supposed to look past the fact that somebody is pursuing vengeance. Uh, but obviously, Scripture has things to say about not pursuing vengeance. But but just giving into that hate, I'm going to resist quoting Star Wars here. Um, <laughs> and in, in general, giving into your hatred in pursuit of vengeance does bad things to your soul. And I think that this movie doesn't really dig into that in a way. I kept waiting for something a little deeper. Like I wanted something a little bit existential. I wanted somebody to wink at me as an adult viewer that says, yeah, she's making bad choices here, but she's aware of it. No, I think that, you know, at the end of it though, Cruella still is Cruella. She's still going to become the person who tries to kill you know, 99 Dalmatian puppies for a fur coat. So, I mean, they can't do that. They can't wink at you and say, well, she knows she's doing is bad or anything like that because then she wouldn't be who she is. Uh, yes and no. Like, if you're going to stick to canon, if you will, the canonical 101 Dalmatian story, <laughs> but they did mess with it with Maleficent. So Disney has shown a willingness to sort of, what's the word, retcon right. uh, characters. It's a fascinating thing, actually, what they did with this movie, because in a way, you're absolutely right, Emily. They don't, they don't excuse what she does necessarily, right? It, I mean, she is a bad guy through and through, but because the bad looks so attractive and because mm -hmm. we associate so much of ourselves with her in a way, you know, we, we kind of aspire in some ways. They, the movie asks us to aspire to be as cool and as edgy and as provocative as she is yeah when you look at the points like if you just took the movie took out all the visuals and you took it point by point by point by point you would say okay this is a cautionary story this is someone turning evil because of the decisions that she makes when you splash on the visuals these lush visuals and all the fashion and everything else and that she goes looks with great it great in the process she looks great in the process it really does become this thing that makes that makes villainy just look ever so It looks wonderful. attractive. Absolutely. You sit there and you're like, this looks pretty good. I want, I want to dress like that. I want to look like that. I want to be, you know, that powerful figure that people fear and are intimidated by and write, you know, songs about. <laughs> it wasn't too long ago that we actually talked about social media, right? And we, right. we talked about how when you act up, when you are edgy, when you are provocative on social media, it you gets get you likes, it gets you noticed. That's what this movie is about. It's how to get yourself noticed. And that's mm -hmm. not necessarily the message we want to send to our kids. No. Well, and again... You know, pushing the Maleficent comparison one more step, I felt like both of the Maleficent movies had some depth to them. There's something really going on with a movement toward redemption. This felt disappointingly shallow. I mean, it felt like it was all just surface appeal. And when you sort of dig down deeper into the story, there's not much there. It's a pretty thin story. And I... I found myself disappointed with that. Like, I get why they're doing it, but it didn't go where I wanted it to go. 
Well, I think also in the Maleficent movies, you know, they kind of rewrote the narrative. They were like, hey, you didn't get the whole story the first time around, so we're going to give you the real story. This is what actually happened. Whereas in this, it sounds like they're just saying, hey, here's the prologue. Here's what happened before we got the 101 Dalmatians. Well, personally, I was just a little disappointed that they only got Emma Stone and Emma Thompson. And while they were at it, they didn't just go ahead and get Emma Watson, you know, (laughs) and let's go ahead and get Emma Roberts, maybe Emma Chamberlain. I mean, come on. Why stop at just two Emmas? Why not eat M&Ms while eating? Ocean's Emma. Yeah. (laughs) Thank you for the sympathy laugh. I can only hope that a couple of you listening out there. Also are laughing out loud. Well, we've been talking about some of these other live action Disney movies, and we've talked quite a bit about Maleficent, but I have found watching a number of the more recent ones, Dumbo, The Lion King, The Jungle Book, even Mulan, that there's a darker edge to all of them. And maybe the darkness is as much a function of pulling it out of the realm of animation, which tends to be bright and colorful Mm -hmm. and just filming it. But even thematically, um, there's just something kind of edgy and kind of not like the cartoons in the way that those stories have been told. And I'm curious, why do you think Disney has pushed these stories in this kind of direction? To give it a new spin on the tale, because I mean, really and truly, yes, you can make all these movies live action and stuff, but if you don't change anything if you don't add like maybe that darker edge like you're talking about or rewrite the narrative as they did with Maleficent or you know give us the prologue as they're doing in Cruella then you're not giving us anything new nobody's going to be interested so I think it's almost a way of like yes we want your kids to come see it but we want you who maybe watched it when you were children to come back and see it because we gave it a new spin you know and so it's kind of like they're saying we do still want to appeal to your kids but we also want to get you know the people who were kids when these originals came out to come back into the theater again. I think that's really true. I think that you do have this multi-generational pull. Like, you loved this story as a child. Your grandparents loved that story when they first saw it or whatnot. And, and, and your it's sort great of... grandparents. <laughs> exactly. So, so it sort of becomes this thing where you can look at a new, an old story and turn it into something new. But at the same time, I go back to our earlier conversation, right? We were talking about some of the classic Disney movies of all time. Snow White, I don't think it would have been rated G if it had landed in the theaters today because there are some really dark moments. Pinocchio, Fantasia, all these things had some pretty interesting dark elements. It's, I think that it's a product of as we grow older, we sort of sanitize what we might have seen as kids mm. and we think of it as lighter than perhaps it was. Mm. The darkness pulls us back into the story in a way. And, and I think that that's kind of interesting. So it could be that my entire premise is off. Well, you know, that it, it's an interesting thought, right? You know, I, I'm not saying that it is, but it is kind of an interesting question. Yeah. I mean, that you go back and watch some of these original things. We watched Dumbo a couple of years ago, the original animated one. I'm like, this movie is crazy dark. 
um, in terms of what's oh, happening yeah, yeah, yeah. thematically. I mean, just think I'm thinking of like specifically Bambi and uh, the Lion King and stuff growing up where you actually like you basically watch the parent die. Maybe not in Bambi, but like, you know, you see what's happening as a kid and it's like it's a dark moment. Like, I can't think of a single person my age who has seen the Lion King who didn't cry when they saw Simba go up to his dad like after the stampede and just be like, Dad, get up. We got to go now. It, it, <laughs> like, it's everybody an- cries. And it's an ongoing joke in our house. Whenever my kids can't find, you know, couldn't find mom, they'd always go, mother, mother. So your family was a little bit darker in their and, humor. And do the Bambi call straight up. Oh, yeah. man. See, you know what it is? It's a household full of Jonathans out there that's making these Disney movies. They all had the same mindset, and they were like, hey, uh, I want to give true. this Disney tale a twist. It's Disney's fault. That's hilarious. But I'm even thinking about 101 Dalmatians as it is. When I when I consider the original Cruella, honestly, I think she was a little bit scarier than the Emma Stone version. Well, I mean, Cruella DeVille, if she doesn't scare you, no, no evil, evil thing, thing will. will. <laughs> yeah, exactly. She has these really sharp cheekbones. She's gray. She's, she She's got is a great really villain's laugh. wicked. And in some ways, Emma Stone feels... All the problems with the movie are, I think, right on. We've got some really serious things to consider. But Emma Stone, in some ways, felt more cartoonish than the original cartoon. she's too pretty, maybe? I think because she's so over the top. Yeah. You know, she is very vampish, as is yeah. the Emma Thompson character. They are so larger than life. And because of that, they feel just out of the realm of possibility. When you have a cartoon, oddly enough, that sort of anchors their weirdness to, I think, a kid-centered reality. Okay, so here's my question. Compare Emma Stone's performance versus the original versus Glenn Close's performance in the live-action version of 101 and 102 Dalmatians. What do you think? Did Glenn Close scare you? Because, you know, I really like Glenn Close. And so, but I do think that she was super evil in those. I mean, she was, but again, it was sort of this cartoonishly evil type of character. Whereas the Cruella that we see in the cartoons is, it's just strangely, even as out of the realm of possibility as she is, she felt more real. I, I, you know, certain images, I guess would haunt me. And I remember the first, you know, uh, 101 Dalmatian cartoon. And I remember this scene where like Cruella's in a car and she's driving around and she's like looking for the, for the uh, puppies and in her head, the way it's peering back and forth. I remember it was like this haunting image, just her face. Like you said, Paul, with the, those sharp cheekbones and stuff where I felt like the Glenn close version to me was more humorous. And maybe it's because Horace and Jasper, I mean, Hugh Laurie was so awesome and, and not that, I mean, and now he got, Paul Walter Hauser as Horace. I can't wait to see that, actually, because I love Paul Walter Hauser, <laughs> especially in Cobra Kai. But, uh, yeah, no, it, it, it is interesting how sometimes you almost kind of throw these – and Disney's good at that. They throw humorous characters in there. You know, Lion King was – I was crying when Mufasa died. Of course, I cry in every movie. But, you know, <laughs> you moments are, later – You are on record as saying that, so <laughs> exact, thank you Exactly. But, but moments later, you're laughing when, you know – uh, you know, Whoopi Goldberg and Cheech Marin and stuff are sitting there going, ooh, Mufasa, ooh, Mufasa, ooh. You know, I mean, they always throw in those humorous characters, and I like that because it kind of takes the tension out of the scene, you know. 
Well, this conversation has gone some directions that I did not foresee today. <laughs> Those are the best conversations. And I right? hope that as you have listened today, that you have had something that you can take away from it. And I think one of the things I have taken away from it, even sort of trying to corral, I'm not going to say, you know, leading, because it's more like galloping horses galloping everywhere, <laughs> <laughs> um, is that. Sometimes we come up with these categories. The earlier stuff is not as problematic, but I think it's been great to realize sometimes when we go back and look at these things, there are issues with all of it. Mm -hmm. And as I think about raising my three kids, there are multiple levels of work that need to be done here. There's a discernment piece on the front end. Do I think that my kids can handle this? And that involves doing some research both into what you're going to watch and knowing your kids, right? And this is a PG-13 movie. And I think sometimes with Disney, it's easy to give it a pass because, well, it's Disney. How bad could it be? It's like, well, for an adult, it's not that bad. But for a little, that PG-13 rating is, I think, a good jumping off point when you begin to think about this. Yeah, it is. And, and my kids, um, you know, I asked them if they wanted to see it. And my two daughters who are almost 11 and almost 13 are like, no, that looks creepy. I have no desire wow, to wow. see that. So in some ways, I feel like the creep factor sort of pushed them out of bounds. But I think in the midst of something, you also have to watch how your kids are responding. And it may be that something that you didn't think was a problem, you can see them sort of non-verbally start to shut down. And that's a point where you maybe pause it and say, okay, what are you feeling here? Do we want to go any further with this? And then I think after the fact, and Jonathan was talking about maybe doing this with older teens, maybe you can handle the content just fine, but there's worldview issues here that it would be great for you to engage with. And so, you know, what did you think of that? What did you think of the fact that it kind of made evil look good? That would be a fantastic conversation to have with maybe slightly older teens if you do decide to go see Cruella or other movies that you see this summer, because they're going to be coming at us left and right at this point, because they've been storing them all up during COVID. So uh, I hope that, that this conversation has given you a chance to maybe think more deeply about one of those angles and how it applies to your life. So what about you? Who is your favorite Disney villain and why? Let us know at our Facebook page or on our Instagram page, which you'll find at Plugged In Team. One word, Plugged In Team. And we would love to keep talking with you about everything we've been talking about today. And as our thanks for being a part of the Plugged In Show family, today for a gift of any amount, we would love to send you a copy of Paul Acey's book, Burning Bush 2.0, How Pop Culture Replaced the Prophet. You'll find a link to order that book in the episode notes for today's show, as well as on the Plugged In blog entry for our podcast today. Or if you prefer, just give us a call at 800-A-FAMILY. As always, thanks so much for spending some time with us, and we look forward to connecting with you again next week for another episode of The Plugged In Show. Plugged In.